probably the most impactful thing is the relationship with your patients. It's really comes back to it always, the relationship that we have with our patients. And so I think that's a good thing because that's not expensive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. With that, I'm so delighted to be joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Giovanni Lorenz. Dr. Lorenz, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Quick background on Dr. Lorenz. He has had a super fascinating career in the field of radiology. Cleveland Clinic trained double board certified cardiothoracic radiologist based in San Antonio, Texas. He is a leader of the Department of Defense large market health system. He's also an adjunct professor for many Texas military education consortiums. He leads the DOD effort in establishing routine cardiac MR and cardiac imaging and is the lead radiologist in establishing the National Lung Cancer Screening Program, one of the most important programs in the country for driving superior patient outcomes for patients with lung cancer. Following a stint of multiple Ironman and marathons, he enjoys early days of baking, walking with his sheepadoodle, Charlie and golden doodle, Sophie, his wife, Deborah, and his two sons, 12-year-old Sebastian and eight-week-old. What's the eight-week-old's name? Oliver. Oliver, an eight-week-old Oliver and Sebastian. Congrats on the newborn. Full disclosure, Dr. Lorenz is also a faculty member on MRI Online. We are working together to develop a cardiac CT remote fellowship. More on that later. But first, Dr. Lorenz, you and I have something in common. We both aren't getting a lot of sleep these days. So you've got a newborn. I've got one on the way. Do any day now. How, how are you holding up? Well, I, you know, we were just alluding to that um, before we went on, you know, trading some stories and what to do and how to do it. I'm holding on. I think, like you mentioned, this is a fantastic time to be in radiology and it prepares you, prepares you for uh, eight week old uh, baby duty at two in the morning because things come at you from all different directions, right? Just, just like being on call, right? So, <laughs> so, you know, before we dive on, one of the things that I always enjoy talking to you about is your winding road to medicine. You know, tell us a little bit about your experience in the military. For those that don't know, prior to starting in radiology, you're in the military. So tell us a little bit about what you did, where you went, and then how that yeah. ultimately led to your career in medicine and choosing radiology. Well, I mean, the military is a fantastic organization, and I appreciate and salute everyone who's participated or supported in it. So thank you very much for that. From the medicine standpoint, it's 9.5 million beneficiaries of Americans who, all across the world who take part in our care. And the care that we provide is, without a doubt, world-class. Myself and many of my colleagues are fellowship residency trained in the best institutions across the country. So we take that knowledge, we bring it back, and we make things better. And it's very easy for me to say that as a driver of that change in our department, we're able to bring some of those equipments, research, and best in practice to the military population. So for that, huge kudos to everyone involved in that. Additionally, we suffer from some of the same issues that everybody else does. Significant care needs, shortages in many things, supplies, technicians, contracts, right? 
and then developing new pathways such as cardiac CT based on the new 2021 chest pain guidelines. So, I mean, there's many, many things, you know, that we can do. And do I have it right that you were flying combat planes before you started in radiology? <laughs> Again, everything is sort of relative. I think the combat planes was a fantastic time of my life. F-16s, yeah, I was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I provided physician care to fighter pilots for several years. So improved flight performance and human performance, taught them how to do things that ordinary humans probably couldn't do for the benefit of their mission. And so I can't tell you anymore. There's some top secret stuff involved, <laughs> but I will say that all of it was in preparation for what we're doing right now, which is deliver high quality care. Amazing. So how did you ultimately choose cardiothoracic imaging? Cardiothoracic imaging, like many things, is one of those high impact fields that gets very little attention unless you're in it. As you mentioned, national lung cancer screening and the last national lung cancer screening programs impact many of us, right? I mean, fathers, mothers, sisters, every family member that we know is probably affected some way or somehow by that. It's the second most common lung cancer. It is the most lethal lung cancer or cancer in general. I mean, it is an extremely important program. Add to that, the most prevalent disease process that kills most humans on the planet is cardiac disease. So if you're going to hit the one and two, essentially go towards the fire, you're going to be in cardiothoracic, either as an imager, as a clinician. And so again, I can't congratulate the number of colleagues, providers, friends, and individuals who provide either the education or the care to make this a better program for everyone. So it was a very easy decision for me to go towards that and to provide that care. I've always felt that that's where you should make the impact. And so add to that AI, research, education, it's geared towards it. I have more tools. I have more fun algorithms to play with in my wheelhouse than some of my other colleagues. And I'm happy for that. I think I can impact more change than everybody else. So lung disease and cardiac disease. Yeah. Those are two important areas to be spending a time and a career. Maybe we'll take them in turn, you know, maybe starting with lung cancer. Sure. Pretty recently, I know they expanded the guidelines for the lung cancer CT screening program, which had increased access for many. You know, what are the big barriers that you've been seeing in driving adoption and impact and, and what role have you been playing in that? And how are you looking forward to improving outcomes of the lung cancer program? Absolutely. So one of the things we noticed is that, and CMS acknowledges too, is that the ground truth for the identification of lung nodules isn't really the problem. Uh, we're, as radiologists or clinicians, we're able to do that fairly well. Access to care was an issue, and they did improve that by increasing the inclusion criteria age group down to 50 and then up to 80. So, I mean, that's another important thing that CMS and federal government has done. I think what's been the real issue and where I need everyone's help and education and online is awareness, as well as then the movement from my report and my consulting with the patient on the imaging to then action. So that piece is really important and that gets lost. And unfortunately, the report is just apparently not enough. When I make an incidental finding of a nodule that is suspicious, and I do recommend according to guidelines what to do next, we just seem to lose the patient. We seem to mm -hmm. not able to deliver that care. And that's unfortunate because then we come back and we find that patient and that nodule 
about three to six months on average later or eight months later. And unfortunately, there's been a change, a change in the mm. clinical station, you know, and so forth. So if we could do better earlier identification and more importantly, get that result out to the patient and bring them back into the scanner, then we're going to see some real change. And so there are some really important companies, really important pathways and programs that are out there that are finally getting the attention they deserve to make that impactful change. That's really interesting. So in this case, is it often the referring provider that also needs the education in order to understand how to act on these incidental findings? Absolutely. I I find that we can take some lessons from breast cancer screening, which is that we can motivate and advocate for the patient to take a huge role into their care. So women of screening age are able to walk into any screening imaging center across the country and receive care immediately. There's no pre-authorization. There's absolutely nothing. We just recognize the importance, right? Similarly, in lung cancer screening, we have to do the same thing. There were some barriers. There still are. But now we need to make sure that everybody understands, including our clinicians, that you should just get the screen. You should just get it done immediately and without worry about pre-authorization. So there are some things, insurances are gold carding or pre-authorizing this. Workflows are being smarter and including this in healthy registries with electronic health records. So there's a lot of important steps that are being done right now to motivate and to increase that screening population. Really interesting. What, if you look out at the referring provider community and you say, hey, these referring providers, you know, really get it. They yeah. are on top of it, maybe because they are pulmonologists or, or what have you, but maybe, you know, primary care doctors or ER doctors, because they have too many things to do to follow up with the patient. Are there areas where you know, certain doctors are doing this right and we've done a really good job and we can learn from it. And then other physician populations, we need to work harder to educate. You really hit it on the head, man. This is it. There are some takeaways. One of the takeaways is that although subject matter expertise, your pulmonologist, your radiologist, cardiothoracic radiologist can impact, probably the most impactful thing is the relationship with your patients. And that Mm. could be either as colleague, that could be as primary care getting the patient back into a regimen of preventative mindset. That is, you know, yearly, I got to take a quick look and buy the CT scan because I have a smoking history. That's what makes the change. And that's, what's going to drive it. So unfortunately, it's not really an innovative new software toolkit. It's really comes back to it always the relationship that we have with our patients. And so I think that's a good thing because that's not expensive. That's just taking the time to really develop a human relationship. And so I find that those providers who do that, you look at their numbers, you look at their recalls, and they have preventative, realistic numbers. I mean, that's really the takeaway is that it always comes back down to, maybe we don't want to celebrate that because you can't package it, but you really can say that you can make an impactful change just by having that right relationship, getting to your patient saying, look, you've got you know, reasons to get that scan. Let's get that done and let's set it up on your scan birth date, right? You know, something that makes it important for them to remember. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about your career is you're involved in military hospitals, you're involved in academia, you also do some telemedicine work for some of the private practices around the country. And so Are there places that are doing this more effectively where you've seen higher 
scan rates as part of the population? Yeah. Anywhere where you've seen this done really effectively? Absolutely. So I, there are, of course, some hanging fruit items. If you have a large population, a population that is grounded in a strong EHR reach, right, a grad, it does make sense to develop a health registry. Identify them based on those demographics, those inclusion criteria. Absolutely. And I would encourage large organizations to do that. We do find that that works very well into identifying your population and two, then getting the awareness out. Absolutely. For my providers that are in the outpatient side point, so our general radiologist and then our primary care providers, you absolutely can do similarly identifications of your patients by just Excel sheets. And I hate to say it's something as simple as that, but yes, something as simple as that is identifying your patients based on a demographic, of course, secure that can identify them and just say, look, this is your scan anniversary, right? You know, we're just going to try to remind you on this day to come on out. So I think that's another takeaway. There are some other innovations that are occurring. AI, natural language processing has made some inroads. I think these are some very worthy ways of identifying and recalling those patients for their scan on an annual and yearly basis. And they have made some differences. I would tend to favor things that don't require significant logistics, right? Things that are not large purchase items. And so some things that are just essentially easier to do, which is getting that patient back in and just going through your screening platform. So your breast cancer, your preventative care of coronary disease, lung cancer. I think those are probably the easier takeaways. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about cardiac. Big news this year as the guidelines continue to promote the benefits of cardiac imaging. Share a little bit more about what those guidelines are and how they're likely to have an impact over the next few years and what clinicians can be doing. And yeah, bring us up to speed. Absolutely. So in case you missed it, 2021 was a banner year for cardiac in many ways, but the main one was that we codified a group of considerations. And the first big takeaway is that this is personalized medicine, humanistic medicine down to your particular patient. Why that is important is that it's not a directive, top-down, hierarchical, you need to do A, B, C. Options are available. Options are available for your particular patient as well as your particular organization. So there's a number and I, I want to make sure everybody's aware of it. There are a number of recommendations that are 1A. CT, cardiac coronary CT in particular for angiographic evaluation of the coronary arteries has made that, but other ones still continue to be important ways of evaluating chest pain, both in the emergent and the routine environment. So we now have a larger toolbox, not a smaller one, but a larger toolbox. In addition to that, we've taken now innovative techniques such as fractional flow reserve, stress cardiac MRI, cardiac MRI, new innovations in nuclear imaging, and we've added that too. So now we've expanded even more. So this is a fantastic time, I think, to be in cardiac imaging because we have a larger tool set. We also now have workflows that take advantage of certain, I would say, leveling up situations. That is, each organization has its own pathways that are just more efficient than others. They may not be value-based, but they're just more efficient. And I would highly encourage everybody to continue to work in that lane. That is be efficient. If you're efficient, then you can get through more patients. You can see more patients. There are some appropriate ways to evaluate the patient, but I think efficiency is probably the most important. So for us in our organization, we heavily invested in 
CT across our platform. So again, 9.5 million beneficiaries. We have a very nice inventory of CT and MR that's available. Per our regulations, we have to turn that inventory over eight years. So we have brand new equipment essentially across our enterprise. We're very lucky. <laughs> Thank you very much, taxpayers. But one thing that we are able to do with that is we're able to leverage the new innovation, the lower dosing, the faster ways of doing coronary evaluation by way of coronary CT. And so I think we're able to take advantage of that. Other places are not. They have sufficient workflows by use of nuclear medicine. And I would encourage people to continue to do that. So that's one takeaway. The other takeaway is that we can add things on top of each other. So if you do have a coronary CTA program, don't forget that nuclear medicine is a fantastic way of evaluating functional anatomy, function, make cardiac imaging. So the two are combined. And there are many ways of doing that. There are new innovative ways in CT to get functional imaging. Fractional flow reserve CT is one way. Cardiac MRI is another way to do that, to add to your coronary CT information, as well as nuclear and, of course, echo. So there are some really fantastic ways, and we can dive in a little bit more about that if you like. Yeah, my head is going a million directions. Maybe I'll start here. One of the areas that you play a big role is in teaching as well as in providing second opinions. You are an expert in the field. What happens as these new technologies come to market and become standards of care is you can no longer rely purely on subspecialists to meet the demands of the country and of the world. And so one of the things that we're hearing from radiologists around the country is, hey, I need to be prepared for this. I might not be a cardiac imager. My specialty is in MSK, or I'm a private practice radiologist. I like to do MR. Maybe I do a lot of MSK and neuro, but I got to cover the hospital you know, a few days yeah. a week in order to provide care in my community. And I don't know a lot about this, or I'm not comfortable with some of the new advances. So what are you seeing in terms of common training gaps there and how can we bring the field up to speed? That's a very important point. So we put the guidelines out. We said as an organization and society, people should be doing this. There are new technologies that allow people to do this. There is funding appropriate to establish these workflows. Now you need to establish the education line for your technicians, as well as your interpreters, right? And so you hit it on the head that we continue to ask much of our cardiac imaging community. And that's the development to be the spokesperson ambassadors for this, as well as to be able to interpret this if they may or may not even be their subspecialty area of routine. So our breast imagers are asked to do cardiac imaging. How do you do that? Why would you do that? Why is it important, right? And so I would ask you guys, or just remind everyone that this too, is an important region of the body, just as your specialty is, and it doesn't deserve the intention, that's number one. Number two is, is that this too can be learned, taught, and educated. And there are some wonderful things that the societies have done, Society of Cardiac MRI, SCCT, ACR, ACC, as providing those guidelines for this. Level one, level two, and level three cardiac CT programs are in place. Put a quick plug in for what you and I are doing, Dan, as far as our on-demand education on this too, we do provide training. But basically, I would ask everybody to kind of keep in mind that this is an angiographic study of the coronary arteries. That's it. 
this is not some nuanced, very difficult thing. It's an angiogram. These are essentially a workflow that we know in radiology how to do day in, day out. We provide and ascribe a certain time period for it. And so keeping that into that box that I can do this is one thing. The second thing is, is that these workflows aren't really that different from an education standpoint. We're evaluating according to a guideline. And currently we use a CADRADS 1. I've been promised that CADRADS 2 will come out shortly. And we're hoping for those releases in about two, three more weeks, four more weeks, somewhere along those lines before our SECT meeting. So with those new guidelines, we're looking for stenosis. And we do that in other parts of the body. We evaluate for markers of calcium and low attenuating plaque. We call these markers soft markers or indiscriminate markers because sometimes they can herald different disease processes. Additionally, I think it's important to remember that coronary CT and coronary disease occurs in many different settings. We can have that in our run-of-the-mill outpatient just because you know somebody has had chest pain. It doesn't mean that it's always coronary. It could be esophageal-based chest pain or non-cardiac chest pain, as we call it now. So having developing and having to develop these workflows in a outpatient setting are extremely important. You're leaving a lot of patients who can benefit from this and helping them out as opposed mm-hmm. to them traveling 300 miles to the next tertiary center, right? We want to take care of the patient where they're located. And so I think this is an important thing. You touch upon education. So education is extremely important. There are essentially three important things to remember. One, this is an angiographic. So just get the timing right on the bullet. Number two, we're evaluating on the interpretation side based on stenosis, not too hard there. And number three, we're evaluating on quality and management. So what is the next steps? Okay, so maybe we don't have disease there, but what are the things that we could potentially identify our clinicians that would be important for them to know later on? We do get the lungs. So as a lung guy, I would definitely (laughs) keep an eye on what kind of smoking history they have and then evaluate them for inclusion criteria to a smoking cessation program or lung cancer screening. Additionally, bone mineral density, visceral fat, some of these other biomarkers, these are very, very important things to notify in your report to your clinician, as well as that can be extracted by AI. And there's some wonderful programs that can do that now that can get them to the right place. Maybe we need to do a bone mineral density evaluation and ensure that they don't have a risk for a hip fracture five years later on. These are the magical things that I think that the CT, such as a coronary CT can offer. It's not just the coronary CT, it's actually much more. I can keep going on and on from the planning standpoint, how we can help our interventional cardiologists and cardiothoracic surgeons in planning for their next big procedure by way of this. But that's essentially it in a nutshell. This is a very easy angiographic evaluation that I think many of us in the community know how to do inherently. Well, it may be easy, but it'll be a lot easier for radiologists after they've taken your course on MRI online slated to launch either later this year, early next and shameless plug aside. I think one of the things that's really important is radiologists having confidence, number one, and number two is radiologists being able to approach cases efficiently. Pretty much any radiologist can get the answer right if they have an hour to take on the case, but we don't. And so how do we set up our protocols? How do we set up our search patterns? How do we set up our reports to make ourselves efficient? 
especially when you might be jumping, as you mentioned, from breast study to cardiac study to brain Mm -hmm. study. And that constant context switching can be so challenging. And so those are some of the tools that we need to help equip people for as practices start to see these volumes come through. Dr. Lorenz, it was Mm -hmm. so nice being with you. We're sort of at the end of our time. Anything you want to add before we close? Again, I would challenge and congratulate any of our clinicians who are advocating for their patient's health and in many spheres. There's a lot of challenges out there right now, right? And they're very realistic. In my sphere, it has a lot to do with education, and I'm glad we have this opportunity to plug for new innovative ways of education. But currently, and I mean, as of 11 o'clock last night, as I was working on how to find more contrast for my patients, right? I mean, these are realistic things that we're all facing right now with shortages in, in supplies and in technicians and in workflows. And so how do you prioritize? Well, get buy-in by your clinicians, find out what's important for them. Maybe it is a new cardiac CT workflow. Maybe it's not, but you should take it as an inclusion and an opportunity to talk to those clinicians. And so I do want to plug that there are people out there, there are societies out there, there are education formats and programs available for you on demand. And so take advantage of those. Awesome. Well, Dr. Lorenz, thank you for your service. Thank you for your time today. And thank you for your partnership, building out these educational courses that are going to continue to raise the bar of medicine worldwide. We're grateful to call you a friend and a partner, and we will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at theradiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online.